Well, our first scripture reading this morning is from the book of Philippians. We've been reading through that uh, uh, over the, since January or so, since we've been doing a series in 1 Samuel. We are, we, are, we are kind of taking a break from that series for reasons I'll explain later this morning, uh, but we are continuing our reading there, and so John is going to come and read this scripture for us. John, if you would. Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We have a special guest preacher this morning who I'll introduce to you in a moment, but before uh, we do that, we're going to read the sermon text that he's going to be preaching on. So I'm going to invite uh, David Air forward. You can read on the back middle panel of your bulletin, or if you're using the digital version, you know, just scroll down. Psalm 131. David, if you would come and read it for us. Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Chuck, if you could come up now, I want to say a few words about, about you. First, uh, this is Chuck Garriott. Uh, he's a PCA pastor and minister. Uh, he lives right now in Washington, D.C. Uh, for many years, 25 or so, he was in Oklahoma City pastoring there. Um, but what brought him into my orbit, the orbit of our church, is he started a ministry called Ministry to State, where he works with po uh, politicians and those who work for politicians in the Washington, D.C. area. And, and he also has a heart for international capitals, of which we are international to America. And uh, so he's been encouraging us and helping us think about, you know, how do we reach out to political people in our city? How do we, how do we love the people of our city? And so really over the past eight years or so, uh, he's been encouraging us. He came up here in 2015 when, like, most of you weren't even here. We were in the little theater. If anyone visited at that point, he visited us way back then. Uh, and it, we've, he's been friends to our church for a long time. So we're really glad to have him come uh, and preach God's word to us today. There's a few other things that he's giving away at the back, but I'll explain that later. Right now, we're happy to turn the, the lectern, the microphone over to him and have him preach. So, Chuck, if I could pray for you, and then, uh, and then you may begin. 
Lord, thank you for Chuck. Thank you for his, his long years of ministry, how he's labored faithfully in the gospel uh, in Oklahoma City, in Washington, and in other places. Uh, please bless him now as he preaches to us. In Christ's name, amen. Chuck. I want to make sure I'm on. Am yeah. I... I'm going to move this one? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, you can. And a- Andrew's signaling that you're good. Am I muted? No, no you're, you're good now. Okay. All right, you can hear me. Great. Well, good morning. It's great to be here with you. It's a privilege to be invited to um, participate within your worship and to have an opportunity especially to bring to you the Word of God. I, uh, I must tell you that it's, uh, it's really fun, I'll put it that way, to, to come to your city, to get to know your city a little bit better, to understand how the, the city of Ottawa works and your government and your people, but especially to come into worship with you and how encouraged I am to see how God continues to develop and build his church here. And Ben and Jen have done an incredible job in regards to uh, providing the service that is needed to see a church planted and develop and grow. And so, again, I just want to thank you for allowing me the privilege to be here with you this morning. Uh, Let me just uh, give you a brief overview of who I am. Uh, I'm married. My wife is Debbie. I'm sorry that she can't be here with you. We are moving into, actually, we are actually in uh, our uh, 50 years of marriage. And so we call it our, this year we call it our 70-50 window, which means that we're reaching 70 years of age and 50 years of marriage. And it's just a great opportunity for us to reflect on what God has been doing in our lives. And Debbie can tell you that uh, God has uh, really had to stretch her in so many ways being married to someone like myself and have to put up with all my things. Anyway, but she is a wonderful wife and a great mother of four children and seven grandchildren. Our youngest son, Peter, who is in LA, is in the filming uh, business, so to speak, industry. He does editing for films. And one of the uh, films that he worked on a number of years ago was called Social Animals. It was on Netflix for a while. It basically accents as a documentary the, the um, characteristics and the, the different aspects of social media. And it took three different, uh, they centered on three different individuals and looked at their lives and what social media was doing to them. And in every case, either maybe in some cases you might say it seemed somewhat positive, in other cases it seemed to be destructive. It, it showed you just the influence of what it's like to get up in the morning and go through your day and basically be concerned about one thing. And what is that one thing that they would be concerned about is how many likes that you received, right? And you're counting all the time. And most of us have, have become accustomed to that kind of world where we want to see how many likes we have. And so this morning, I'm hoping that as we look at this particular passage here, this Psalm, Psalm 131, Psalm of David, that we might have an appreciation of not so much how many likes we're receiving, but what it looks like to have gospel biblical humility, to sink along the lines of what David has provided for us here in terms of this particular part of God's inspired word. What it looks like to be truly humble. Now, my wife can tell you that 
uh, her husband has a great difficulty with that. And I admit that I'm still, I'm still hoping and praying that God will uh, help me in my ability. But I think Psalm 131 is a great help to us. And I'm hoping that, that this morning, as we look at it in a little bit in depth, a bit more uh, today, that we will have an appreciation not only for what it, what it should do in our own lives personally, but what the church should look like if it truly understands, appreciates, and demonstrates the humility that Psalm 131 uh, will give us. Before we go any further, let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us this morning an opportunity to look in your word in the context of worship. Thank you for this congregation, for resurrection. Thank you for the leadership, for the elders, the deacons. Uh, thank you, Father, for the people here and their commitment to you and to your church and to its work. But I pray, Father, that as we go about the work of the church, as we go about our daily lives, as we get up in the morning, as we greet our spouse, our children, our parents, our school teachers, whoever, that there would be an appreciation and an understanding and an application of Psalm 131. And that through such an application, that this community here in Ottawa, this part of Canada, would hear more about the gospel, would want to know more of what it is that's happening in a person's life who demonstrates Psalm 131. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The issue of humility was very much a part of Christ's teaching. If you turn to Matthew chapter 5 and you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see that Jesus fundamentally begins with this dynamic of humility where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, meaning those who understand their true poverty. There is no understanding of the gospel, no appreciation of the gospel without an understanding of what it means to be poor in spirit. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Paul in Romans chapter 12 in verse 16 says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. In James 4.10, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. When you think about Psalm 131, how does it relate to you? your thinking, your, I'm going to use the term, your personality. Again, as I mentioned, I struggle with, I struggle with pride. I, I struggle with wanting the likes. And I suspect you do too in different ways, perhaps. Some of us more uh, so than others. The reason why I I uh, spent time writing the book, and I have a few copies there, uh, Love and Power, Glimpses of the Gospel for Those Who Are Addicted to Self, is because I believe in a place, especially in a government center, whether it be Washington, D.C., or uh, here in Ottawa, or any other capital-type community, that the dynamic of humility is greatly needed. 
if you just won an election and you're counting the likes, the votes, and one of the things that people will, will look at, especially in the United States, is what percentage of, of, of votes did you get? How close was the race? Right? It's all about the likes, right? What, what would it be like to be in government, in politics, and to embrace Psalm 131? So there's two things here that I would like us to look at as we examine the psalm. One is the, as we look at the understanding of humility, one dynamic that this psalm tells us about really is the whole issue of calling and really understanding the true nature of our calling. And then secondly, I'll call it the, the, uh, the concern for calmness. Calling, calmness. Uh, when we deal with humility this morning, I want you to think about, again, the context of the gospel and fundamentally owning your true position before God, your true position before God as one who is fallen and in rebellion. So with that in mind, let's dig in. The whole dynamic of calling. I believe that David understood this issue. He was very much uh, centered on what is God calling me to do? And one of the benefits that we have really with the scriptures is we get to go back with some, roughly speaking, 3,000 years and have fellowship with David. That's really amazing if you think about it. That we have, a, we have some insights in terms of his life, his childhood, his early years before he became king, when he became king, and then during his reign, and how, how difficult things were within his life. We have the benefit of Psalm 23 and Psalm 51, etc. But fundamentally, David had to deal with the issue of calling. And I believe here in this passage, he is reflecting, if, you may, if I may say this morning, the true sense of his calling. John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage of Scripture, writes this in regards to calling. He says, in this, that is in this particular passage, in this he teaches us a very useful lesson and one by which we should be ruled in life to be contented with the lot which God has marked out for us to consider what he calls us to and not to aim at fashioning or entering upon rash and undertakings and to confine ourselves cheerfully within our own sphere instead of attempting great things. I don't think that Calvin or anyone else is opposed to you achieving or wanting to obtain great things, but it needs to be done within the context of your understanding of God's true calling upon your life. You recall that back in the Old Testament, of course this was much later than David's life, a king by the name of Uzziah was really doing quite well, was very successful, was very God-honoring. And if you go back to that section of, of the Old Testament where we're given the details of Uzziah's life, you'll recall that there came to be a point in time 
where he felt that he should be involved in another area of life besides being king of Israel. And you would think being king of Israel would be quite sufficient, that that would consume you. You wouldn't be concerned about anything else. But he decided that he ought to act like a priest. And he enters the temple. And he acts like a priest as he's entered the temple. And it was a catastrophe. It was disaster. He ends up with leprosy. He's, the priests take him out. And he spends the rest of his day in shame. Now, you would think perhaps that in, under such circumstances that he would learn humility. I'm not sure that he ever did. He was obsessed with his own agenda, with, with taking spiritual things, healthy things, and forming and fashioning them in such a way that would serve his own ends. It was a disaster. David understood what it meant, even though he had times of struggling, to say, focus on what God was calling him to do. My heart is not proud. This is the NIV. My heart is not proud. Notice that, the, that David begins with the heart. Not the outward, but the heart. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes, what I see, are not haughty. So three things you might notice. One is that he is very much about, this, this humility is very much about examining his life. So let me ask you, how often do you find an occasion to be quiet and to examine your life and to ask yourself some hard questions? What is God calling me to do? Really, what is my chief end? How's it going? Where am I frustrated? Uh, let me ask you this. Do you ever note, like this morning, for example, can you tell me, if we, if we were given, if we gave you the opportunity, can you tell me this morning, can you tell me what you thought of this morning when you first woke up? You had thoughts. There were things going on in your mind when you woke up this morning. When you wake up tomorrow morning, what are the first thoughts that are coming through your mind? Do you ever just spend time examining your thought life? We tend to think that our thought life belongs to us, that we can think anything we want, and it doesn't matter. But Jesus says, if you, if you are consumed with anxiety and worry, you're sinning. It's wrong. If you're consumed, if, if my heart is consumed with pride or with lust or all kinds of things, even though you may not be able to discern it, it's wrong. So my point is here, and I think this is what we see with David, he was someone who understood the importance of examining his own heart, his own life, his own, his own circumstances. Do you do that? Secondly, what kind of conversation are you having? David here, I believe, is having a conversation with God. This is a prayer. Uh, I heard recently a friend mentioned that if you're having trouble praying, just spend time in the Psalms. I think that's really wise advice. The Psalms are one of the best ways of praying, of using uh, what is written there as a prayer. What, what is happening in your own life in regards to your conversation with God? 
Are you sitting down having just a heart-to-heart conversation? God, I do not like these things. I do feel anxious. I am having trouble with lust. I am having trouble with pride. I'm having trouble with anger. Because, and then you can name all the people in your life who have offended you by what they said or what they didn't say, what they did or what they didn't do. Do you have these honest conversations with God? And then, and then thirdly, how well do you accept your circumstances? Because I believe David struggled with that at times. I know he did. We'll talk about it in a moment. But in the context of the gospel, are you able to examine, have a conversation, and then accept? And I believe that's what David is saying here. My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with matters too great for me. Things beyond me. Take one example, one major example with David. What was one of the primary passions that David had when he became king? And the answer is to build the temple. He wanted that temple built. He wanted to be the person who built the temple. He instructs Nathan to go before God and to make such a request. And Nathan returns and says to him, and then he gives him the word of God. And the word of God was, David, you will not build the temple. You're not the, that's not your calling. Here's why. I won't go into all the details this morning. Here's why you're not going to build the temple. And I think David had to have gone through a, a significant season of struggling with that. But then we find that in time, David says, okay, I'm not going to build the temple. It's going to be my son Solomon. I understand that. But I'm going to make sure that the resources are there. And I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure that when I die, my son Solomon will have all the resources needed to build the temple. And at the very end of his life, and recorded in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, he brings together the leadership and he reminds them of what has taken place in regards to all the, the, the riches, the wealth, so to speak, that was needed to build the temple. And he's, and he's speaking about all these things. And then in verse 11 of chapter 29, he says this. And listen, listen to what he's saying. Listen to what David is saying, the guy who wanted to build the temple, who cannot build the temple. He says, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. And in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Are you able to respond to God in that manner? As you contemplate the things that are haunting you, that are chasing you, that are consuming you. And the list can be quite long. It could be things in regards to your, your actual career path, relationships, your marriage, your relationship with your husband, your relationship with your, your wife, your children, or as a child, your relationship with your parents, or the dysfunction of those relationships. 
You may be sitting here and you have wanted to be married all of your life and God has not given you that special person. Or maybe he has. And you've been hoping to have children, but God has not blessed you with children. And you can see that this list can be quite extensive and long in regards to all the things that consume us in regards to things that we say, I need these things for me to be happy. Are you able to respond in your life to the way that David has here? Oh Lord, the greatness and the power and the glory is yours. So first of all, if you're going to have this humility that David speaks about, there needs to be this understanding of your calling and the nature of your calling and, and what it looks like to have this examined life. But then secondly, there is this dynamic of calmness. And I have to admit that I've known the Lord and I've I've been struggling with what it means to be a son of the living God. And it's been well over 50 years for me. And it's amazing to me to think about 50 years of, of having some concept, some understanding of the gospel and still, still needing to grow in my faith. I would have thought when I, in the first five years of knowing Christ that certainly by 20 years, I'd have it all down and I would be so perfect and so wonderful and you would love to be around me, right? But I'm telling you that the longer I've known Christ, the more I see my own sin and the issues within, within my own heart. And so when I look at the Psalm and I think about, you know, where is my heart? I, you know, as I, as I go about my day and I think about this passage and I, I recite it in my own thinking, my heart is not proud, O oh Lord. No, Lord, my heart is proud. I know it's proud. I know my eyes are halty. Do you? Do you feel that way? Then I come to this section of the psalm where he speaks about this mom and child. It was only, I don't know, a number of years back. It was before the pandemic, right? Everything is, is oriented towards the pandemic. And I was with my son in California and I was returning home to DC. Now I will tell you that in my work, because I do travel quite a bit, that I have become a bit picky about flying. Meaning that I have certain things. I mean, like certain standards, right? Everything from, you know, going through the lines and who I get behind and who I don't get behind and, and uh, you know, et cetera. Like, it's just, it's an obsession, I'll admit it. And when I get, and when I make the arrangements for the flight, I want to be in a certain place on the plane if I can be. And it's an idol, I admit, right? And I always want the aisle seat. I don't want the window. And I definitely don't want that middle seat. And uh, so I got on this flight. So it's a long flight. It's a five hour plus flight from LA to Washington DC. And so I get on and I sit down in my, my uh, favorite aisle seat. And I notice that there is a woman at the window and the middle seat is empty. And I'm saying to myself, wow. And the plane is filling up and 
it's clear that that middle seat is going to be empty. And I'm, inside, you know, it's all happiness and cheerful and celebration. And yeah, bring me another round of water or whatever. And, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm kind of thinking I'm going to be able to work and, and not be disturbed. And I'm going to be able to catch a little nap. And, and then they're ready to close the door. And that's always the thing. Like once they close that cabin door, everything is sealed. You know, this is it right, right here. And next thing I know, somehow, before that door closes, this lady, some 35-year-old lady, sneaks in before they close. I don't know how she did it. I'm sure it was illegal. But she's there now, and she's coming up the aisle. And I'm thinking to myself, certainly she's not going to take this seat next to me. And as she stands now right in front of me, and they, you know how it is, there's always that look, like that's my seat. She is standing there with maybe a year and a half old daughter. Now, this is truly the test of sanctification. And I'm not doing well. And I'm thinking, oh no. Not only is someone going to be occupying that middle seat that I have already, I've already, you know, that's my seat really, right? These two seats are mine. She's going to bring this year and a half old, or no, 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 I'm sorry, maybe a year old daughter. And it's going to be two of them in this one seat. And I'm thinking, this is going to be a very long flight. I'm thinking of you know, a child, they, they have difficulty with the pressure when they go up, when the plane goes up and when it gets down and they're going to be crying and the child's going to be throwing up on me and, and probably the mother's going to ask me to hold their child and I'm, you know, and so instead of me like praying for this mother and, and giving God praise for moms and children and families and everything that's wonderful, my heart, oh Lord, is definitely, definitely proud and arrogant and sinful. And so anyway, I know that that may sound to be an exaggeration, but I, I'm, I'm just telling you, this is how it is. So I've, you know, I know what it's like to travel with children. I have, I have four, so I know what that was like. And, and I'm glad that's in the past, right? So, so eventually the five hour trip is over. I want to tell you, I don't know if I have ever felt in my own heart as much shame as I did when that plane landed at DC. Here's what I saw. This was probably one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen in my life. For five hours, now I don't know how this is even possible, but for five plus long hours, that mother that 35-year-old mother sat there with her one or so year old child. And that child never made the slightest weep or cry or whimper. There were times when the mom, so this is not a weaned child, where the mother breastfed her daughter. Now let me tell you, when you're this close to a breastfeeding mom, that is not a good thing for me. But I, 
I'm just telling you that I, what I witnessed, even though I didn't always, I mean, what I, what was happening next to me was this incredible, calm, mother and child, child and mother. The, at times, the, 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 the mother would, would be playful with the child and the, and the, the, the little girl would, would be laughing and smiling and, and then maybe there was, you know, another time of feeding and maybe then the mom got up and, again, she never asked me to change the child and I was very thankful for that. But all this thing was going on for five some hours. There was this incredible picture of calmness and love and, and acceptance, etc. It was just an amazing thing, which again, just added on to my own guilt and my own remorse and, and the fact that I was so, so self-centered when this poor mother was coming. That is the picture, even though again, this is not a wean child, that is the picture that David wants you to have. Chuck Garriott next to this nursing mother for five hours who who just is so content with her child. And the child, here's the point, is so amazingly content in the arms of her mother. Just amazingly content. And think about it. What can that little girl do for that mother? Nothing. What does that little child have to give? Nothing. The only thing that that child can do is to receive the love and the care and the blessing of the mother. That's it. And that's exactly what David wants you to think about. You being in the arms of your heavenly father and in the context of the gospel, that you would be able to sit there quietly and calm and realize that you have nothing really to offer God. He has everything to give to you and he will continue to give to you. And even if you're crying and you're complaining and you're making messes and everything else, your heavenly father through Christ will continue to love and care for you. And David is saying, he wants, he wants, to have that view of his life and to experience that kind of grace and love and you should have the same. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a wean child with its mother, like a weaned child, I am content. Our chief end is to love God. Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is our calling. Yes, we have calling in terms of our careers, parenting, for some ministry, etc. But ultimately our calling is to love God and to enjoy him forever and to receive his joy and his love through Christ. The writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before you endured the cross, before him endured the cross, despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
This is the kind of humility I believe that the world needs to see from us. And my prayer is, is that here, resurrection, here in Ottawa, in Washington, D.C., and other parts of the world, that that's what the world will see. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for the gospel. And I pray, Father, that you would help us have a better appreciation of the humility that David, King David speaks about here in Psalm 131. We can only understand it. We can only appreciate what we have uh, given, been given through the gospel. But certainly in applying it, we will only be able to apply it because of Christ's work within our lives. We ask and pray these things in his name. Amen.